This is the word of the Lord, saints. Please give it your full attention. Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 23. Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And now 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is God's holy inspired word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would now please bless our ears, bless our minds, and bless, Lord, our hearts, and bless our eyes, that we may hear and see, and we may understand and believe all that you have said to us in your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please, saints, be seated. I greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we conclude now our short series on liturgy. I pray that these sermons have been a blessing to your souls and that you have learned much as your elders have learned much about God's design for worship. Brothers and sisters, we come now to consider again appropriately as the last sermon in this series, the practice of benediction, or the final blessing that is proclaimed at the end of our worship. We have read two verses this morning. One that you are very familiar with, it is the benediction from Numbers that is read at the end of every one of my sermons, and the other from 2 Corinthians that is often read by Pastor Isaiah at the end of his sermons. What exactly is the benediction? What's the point of this practice? Is it a biblical one? You might have noticed, even in Pastor Isaiah's declaration, that grace and peace has been issued to us from God. That he has lifted his hands, palms facing forward, Toward the saints. Why do we do that? Is it a biblical practice? Is there a precedent for it biblically? As the ministers are raising their hands toward the saints, what, if anything, should the saints be doing? This morning, with God's help, we will consider the answer to some of those questions. And I do pray that you would see the wonderful benefit. The benediction is for the people of God. The benediction is God's word to us at the beginning and at the end of the public weekly gathering of the saints. 
Each week, God pronounces His benediction upon us, telling us that His promise has the final word to all of those who are in Christ. We do not have the final word. How we feel at the end of this sermon is not the final word. How we uh, estimate how well or not as however well the minister did is not the final estimation of this sermon or of our worship. The final estimation is what God says. The final word is what God says. And we are thankful that for those who are in Christ, the final word is a sweet word. Let's go then to uh, the points of our sermon, and there are three. And number one, the content of our, or the content of the benediction. The content of the benediction. Excuse me for just a moment. I will not read both of these scriptures, but uh, let's keep them in view as we are moving forward. As we consider both benedictions, there is something that we should notice. And it's not just common words, but common blessings. Not just common words, but common blessings. And if you're taking notes, they are the common blessing, which is divine, of grace and peace. The common blessing, which is divine, of grace and peace. What is contained within the benediction? What are the contents of the blessing? The contents of the blessing are this. Grace and peace. This is why the benediction is called a benediction. Because grace and peace are contained within. Let's talk just uh, some definition. Benediction simply means blessing. It is a compound word from the Latin. Bene meaning good. Desere meaning to say or to speak. Uh, compounded, it is a good word or a blessing in our terminology. The blessing is God's pronouncement, God's proclamation of God's blessing upon God's people. In the book of Numbers, the Lord instructed the Aaronic priest to pronounce this benediction upon the sons of Israel. It was in the context of the gathering for worship. This final word was to be a blessing for the people of God as they departed from worship. In the book of Corinthians and other Pauline epistles, the Apostle Paul also proclaims a final blessing to the saints as he ends his letters. 2 Corinthians 13.14 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and fellowship would imply peace. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Before we dive into some of the differences between these benedictions, consider what they have in common. And it is again, what they have divinely in common. And what is true of every true benediction. Grace and peace. The grace and peace of God is why the final word is a good word. It is God's word 
And it is a blessing of God's grace and peace to the people of God as we depart the Holy of Holies, as it were. The benediction is a good word because of the grace and peace of God. The grace and peace of God make this final blessing a true blessing. Dear saints, it's important that we note that the benediction is not the minister's prayer on behalf of the people of God. Uh, We are not praying that God would bless His people. We are not requesting that God would bless His people. Rather, the benediction is a pronouncement in the same way that the man of God pronounces God's Word. In the same way that the man of God is a herald of God's Word. He is saying what is. The benediction is not a hope. It's not a request. It's not a prayer, nor is it a doxology. The benediction is a pronouncement that God's people have been blessed by God, are blessed by God. Paul is not praying or requesting that God would give grace and peace to his church. And neither are the the elders praying that God would give grace and peace to his church. Paul is announcing And the elders are also announcing that God has given grace and peace to His church. I think you're hearing the difference. One being a request for God to please do something. The other being a declaration that God has in fact done something. And these are the words, not of the minister. These are the words of God. God is declaring that He has given grace. God is declaring to you that He has given to you peace. This is not the minister's blessing. The man of God is not standing here as the source of blessing. The man of God is standing here as the one who is declaring God's blessing. As we learned last week, God through the minister declares His word. That God has given to you grace and peace. This is God's word to us from God. We should therefore, if we believe that this is indeed the word of God, not only be present for the benediction, but we should be alert. It is not our time, here's why, to close our eyes, but for us to lift our eyes. For us to see the minister. For us to see and to hear the one who is heralding what God has said as the minister pronounces that you are blessed of God because God has said so. Let our ears be perked up to what God is saying to us. Is it wrong to bow our heads and to close our eyes? No, it's not necessarily wrong. But the posture of head bowed and eyes closed is a posture of prayer. It's a posture of request. We are not making a request to God for grace and peace. We are looking unto God, who has said to you, dear saints, grace and peace are yours. It is again the herald saying, hear ye, hear ye, as we said last week. All ye who have ears, hear what God has said to you. 
the very end of our sermons, at the very end of our worship, we are saying one final time, grace and peace is yours. All of the eyes uh, are on the one who heralds the grace and peace. When someone makes an announcement, our eyes are lifted. Who is speaking? Who is, who is announcing? Who is yelling? Well, in this case, the herald is speaking not on his own behalf, but on behalf of the king. The king who has said, grace and peace is yours. Again, this is not a doxology, nor this is, is, is just a prayer. The movement of the benediction is a movement from heaven to earth. Not from earth to heaven. It is a proclamation. Number 624. The ironic blessing does not begin, the Lord blesses you. But the Lord blessed you. The verb here is indicative. It's not, I should say. It's not indicative. But uh, subjunctive. Meaning this. The blessing is pronouncing what something is. And not what something could be. Or more plainly, God has blessed you, dear saints. Not may God bless you. It is stating what is, not what we hope to be. And I'm driving this point home on purpose. God calls you to worship. And we respond by asking God for mercy, for help. God, through the minister, says, It is yours. Help is yours. Grace and peace are yours. And our response is that we praise Him. God gives us His law. And we ask Him for forgiveness for breaking His law. That we have sinned. And God pronounces, we are forgiven. We hear His word. We fellowship with Him at His table. And He declares, we are blessed with grace and peace. This is why the benediction is most appropriate, yes, but also spiritually most beneficial for us to to bring our worship to a close. Because we might walk away after a sermon and say, God, I am guilty. God, I am most unworthy of all of your blessings. God, I am most unworthy to be called your son and your daughter. And that cannot be the final word. How many times have you walked out of a sermon, walked out of a gathering of worship and saying, Have mercy on me, dear God, a sinner, beating your breast. But that is not the final word. The final word is from God and not from you and I. And it is this, grace and peace are yours in Christ Jesus. The point is that throughout all of our worship, God by His grace has called us into His heavenly courts. He has welcomed us into Zion. We, through Christ, are ascending Jacob's ladder, who is Christ. And we are worshiping with God. We are fellowshipping with our triune God. And when this fellowship, this worship has finished, we need not walk away with heads bowed, feeling guilty and shameful. 
We are the people of God. No guilt and shame is not what we walk away with. Grace and peace is what we walk away with. And it propels you, does it not? It propels you into your Monday. It propels you into your Monday through Saturday. And it gives you grace and peace for the week that you know that it is yours and not that you have to work Monday through Saturday to get it. It is yours in Christ. I'm already getting ahead of myself, which is our second point. When we hear these words, we should rejoice. Let me say also this, when we gather for worship, we should rejoice. Every aspect of what we are doing is a gracious gift of God's grace and peace to us. As we said last week, we were a people who once could not hear and now we hear. We were a people who once could not see and now we see. Every single moment of your gathering with the saints in worship should be enjoyable to you. We should be not like the unbeliever who is disinterested when we gather for worship. Not like the visitor who says, entertain me, please me, show me something special. No, we have been brought from darkness to light. Therefore, when we gather for worship, it should be the most exhilarating moment of our, of our entire week. When we are looking forward to going on vacation, when we are looking forward to, uh, to going somewhere or enjoying something, there is anticipation. Do you have anticipation for the gathering of the saints on the Lord's day? Or is it another chore that must be checked off that you do not enjoy? Dear saints, grace and peace is yours. Grace and peace is yours. We are not like the unbeliever who must walk away from this gospel hearing if they have not repented with their head down and with guilt and shame still upon them. You and I are not like them. Grace and peace is ours. Grace and peace belongs to you. You need not strive to earn it. It is yours. We can rejoice that at the end of this sermon, there is a declaration. And the declaration is good news. It's not bad news. It's not news of sadness or news of dismay. We've heard terrible news this week, haven't we? Fourteen little ones gunned down. All of us are shocked when we see the news spread across the television screen. When we hear of the parents, those poor parents who will go to bed that night without putting their little ones to bed. It is sad news. But this is not bad news at the end of our worship. This is good news. It is news that offers hope, but not hope that you have to earn something. Hope that something, belief that something is yours, and hope that you will one day fully have it in glory in Christ. It is yours in an already not sense. It is yours, it is laid up for you. They are not empty words. This proclamation is not a false promise, it's not a superficial blessing pronouncement is that God has given you grace that God has given you peace in Christ it is finished it is complete it is yours every time that you and I hear the final blessing the benediction we are once again no 
God is once again reaffirming Himself to you. What, uh, there are, are certain people who uh, in their marriages would like to have uh, a, a service of rededic- rededication. Let, they, let's renew our vows. After 25 years, after 30 years, 10 years, whatever. My brother uh, Tony did that with, with my sister a few year, a year or so ago. It was a beautiful ceremony. God renews Himself to you and I. Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day. He says to you, His bride, as you depart, don't forget you are mine. I am reaffirming myself to you once again and once again and once again so that when we hear these words, do not let your ears become religiously dull to them. They are not just form. They're not just something that we must religiously do. God is once again reaffirming His covenant with you. Grace and peace are yours in Christ Jesus. We've been given grace to cover our sin. We've been given peace when we sin. Praise be to God. Let me say that... It's probably my next point, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just read this again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. All throughout this benediction... There is this clear heaven to earth blessing that is coming from God, the Father of lights, to His people who have been blessed to be beacons of light, beacons of light here on this earth. God Himself promises us grace and peace in the benediction. Grace and peace is what we need in this journey onward in Christ. The Christian life would be impossible to live without grace and peace. How can we work out our own salvation with fear and shriveling without grace and peace? How can we do all things without grumbling, without grace and peace? How will we learn to be content in times of plenty and in times of lack without grace and peace? How can we press on toward the goal of being like Christ without grace and peace? Praise be to God. The grace and peace of God is yours. That you need not ask, what will I do? Where will I go to to get it? No, it's yours in Christ. It is yours in Christ. It is for the poor in spirit. It is for the meek and humble. The grace and peace of God is surety for you in times of trouble, in times of despair. The grace and peace of God working through the Spirit produces good fruit in the lives of God's people. And Sabbath after Sabbath once again, the Holy Spirit reaffirms that God's grace and peace are ours through the benediction spoken by way of the man of God. Let's go to number two. The means of of the benediction. The means of the benediction. Again, our two verses, both in the book of Numbers and in 2 Corinthians, the blessing of grace and peace from God is proclaimed. But let me ask you, how 
is grace and peace accomplished? You should already know the answer to this. We know that in and of ourselves, we are both incapable of earning God's blessing of grace and peace, nor are we worthy of receiving God's grace and peace. Paul explains that the condition of man in Romans is being is both unrighteous and falling short of God's glory. So then, dear ones, how is it that grace and peace have been proclaimed as being a present reality in our lives? 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The blessing of grace and peace is accomplished by the eternal decree of our triune God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The benediction can truthfully be proclaimed and the saint can hold fast to this proclamation. I'm going to say this maybe a hundred times because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no grace and peace apart from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing no humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hands, no tearful song, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. We can do nothing to gain the grace of God. It is the free gift that is offered through faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 5.15 The free gift is not like the transgression. For by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The proclamation of the reality of grace Grace to you, you who believe, is possible because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His work, grace abounds to many. There is likewise no peace apart from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no grace apart from Christ, and there is no peace apart from Christ. There is no place that you and I can journey to achieve peace. There is no high mountain and there is no serene river that can give us peace. There is no activity, no hobby, no work, and no collection that will last that can ever give us peace. There is no substance, no food, no drink, nor any other substance that can give us peace. And there is no relationship except that found in Christ that could ever give us peace. True peace is only found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace, Christ says, I give to you. It is yours. But not like the world gives. Christ says. He does not give that kind of peace. It is the peace of Christ that is offered to us. And not only offered, but ours. 
Grace and peace are possible only for those who trust in Christ. And if you are trusting in Christ, then they are a present reality. Because of Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His now reigning in glory. You, you who have trusted in Christ, listen to this, with all caps, you have peace and grace with God. Colossians 1.21 And you, who were once alienated from God, were hostile in your minds, engaging in evil deeds. Yet He has not reconciled you, yet has He not reconciled you in His fleshly body through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless beyond reproach. I don't know if you've heard what Paul just said. But dear saints, royal ones, as we'll hear again next week in Revelation, royal ones, it has been said before, but let the reality of these everlasting words echo in your soul. In Christ, you are no longer alienated from God. In Christ, you are no longer estranged from God. Let this echo in your soul. In Christ, you are no longer an enemy of God. We were depraved. But you are not depraved any longer. You have been reconciled. You have been restored to Christ, to God, through the flesh of Christ, through the person and work of Christ. You have been restored to God. Uh, There are not three tenses to reconciliation. We've said before, you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. You have been you are, have been made holy, you are being made holy, you will be made holy. There are not three tenses though to reconciliation. You have been past finished work. You have been reconciled to God. You are no longer an enemy of God. In Christ, your present standing before God is this, holy and blameless beyond reproach. You. 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 Holy and blameless beyond reproach before God. Me. Holy, blameless, beyond reproach before God. Before God, you take on the very standing of Christ. Christ is holy when we think of holy. Blameless, when you think of Christ is blameless, when we think of beyond reproach, we, we most often immediately and rightly go straight to Christ. But if you are in Christ, you take on the very standing of Christ. Christ is holy and blameless, therefore you are holy and blameless. Christ is beyond reproach, therefore you are beyond reproach. Christ could not be accused of any wrongdoing, both in the court of the Jews and in the court of the Gentiles. They both uh, testified of this. This man has done nothing deserving of death. And when you are in Christ, that verdict from heaven is the same about you. Pause. And think of all the things that you've done that are deserving of death. And now that you've thought about them, think about this. 
God has cast all of those things as far as the east is from the west. You remember them, He does not. The promise of the new covenant is this, He will remember your sins no more. So while we are vexed about our our former sins, while we are vexed about all of the things that we have done that are deserving of death, God says, you remember them, but I do not. You count them against you, but I do not. You count them as things that you are still shaming about, and God says, but your standing before Him is holy and blameless beyond reproach. When we trust in Christ, our standing before God becomes the same standing as Christ standing before God. Holy and blameless. Our list of wrongs, and they are, they, our rap sheets are long, are they not? But in Christ, they have been completely obliterated. Though our sins were as scarred, they have been made white as snow. This grace and peace is accomplished in the person and work of Christ, and it is pronounced as yours at the end of every single one of these gatherings of worship. How we need to hear the final benediction. How it is a rich benefit for our all of our souls. Do you and I not need to hear that we are presently holy and blameless before God? Do you and I not need to hear that we are beyond reproach? Do not let the benediction merely be formed. But I urge you, I implore you, embrace that moment with every ounce of faith that has been given to you by God. Grace and peace are yours in Christ Jesus. Those who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ alone have been brought from death to life. You have been given new hearts. You have been given new minds. They don't feel new. They don't, they don't seem new often. They are new. They are new. Would you rather have the old mind? The mind that had no wrestling, no, no, no battling, no, no, no warring against sin? Or this one? That though we often fail, still wages war against the flesh. We have redeemed faculties. And though not as often as we would like, they thirst and they hunger for righteousness. They are truly alive. You are truly alive. Right now in Christ, you are more alive than you have ever been. Last night, Brother Ray, I don't mind. Would you please turn the air lower if you don't mind? I'm feeling sticky. I don't know why. There was a, uh, if you know where I live, across the park, there was a a, a house that, for whatever reason, uh, which is a long distance away, if you know where I live, and the park is a quarter mile. They were having a party, 
And their song echoed across the park. Their songs of what they would be saying celebrates their life, that they, that they are alive. But based upon the songs that I was hearing that they were celebrating and singing along with, they are dead. They would celebrate beyond midnight as though they were people who are alive. While we rested to prepare to gather with people who really are celebrating. And we are celebrating what it really means to be alive. You are really alive. You are really living. Live a little. You are living a lot. More than you ever have. And it is because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, the benediction was in the name of Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh bless you and keep you. The Lord Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Yahweh lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord told Moses the benediction was to be placed in the name of the Lord upon the people. But now, in the New Covenant, the name Yahweh gives way to a name that is above every single name. It is at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh incarnate, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you are in that name. That new covenant you are now a part of because of the blood of Christ, because God has given you faith to believe in Him. You are now a part of that new and better covenant. Is that not cause for rejoicing? I know in Reformed churches there is a type of stoicism. You can smile. You can rejoice. There is cause for joy. There is cause for exuberation. There is cause for celebration. You are alive. Hebrews, Paul, I believe is the writer of Hebrews, tells us that Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Better than the old covenant. And it contains better promises. All of the covenants prior to Christ were pointing and preparing the people of God for Christ, His new covenant, His better promises, which of which you and I are all partakers in. It is through Christ, the person and work of Christ, that the blessing has come to the Gentiles. Because of the person and work of Christ, we have been made Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It was this covenant and these blessings that Christ establishes. And it is these covenant blessings that Christ commissions His disciples to proclaim before He ascends in the glory. Let's very briefly touch on this practice. At the end of Luke's Gospel, we read Christ leading His disciples out as far as Bethany. And before He ascends... He he lifts up His hands, which was the same posture of the priest of the Old Covenant, and He blesses His people. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven, Luke tells us. Our Lord is our faithful high priest. He is the fulfillment of of the Levitical priesthood. 
Now, we do not know the words that Christ used before He ascended and blessed His disciples. But we do know the words that He gave His apostles to give to His church at the end of their letters, which are this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Our great high priest continues to bless us from heaven. It is the Lord who officially and actually pronounces that blessing every time He summons you, the people of God, to gather together in worship. He sends a representative, an ambassador, a herald, to raise His hands at the end of each service and to declare this blessing that has been accomplished in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the the minister does what he does and why only the minister should do what is done. This man, myself, Isaiah, and any other man that would stand behind this pulpit, we do not have innate power within ourselves, just like the prayer of absolution, to give you grace and peace. We are only heralds who speak on the behalf of God to declare grace and peace is yours in God. We've been given authority and responsibility to declare what God has declared. And so we lift our hands as Christ lifted His hands to bless the people of Christ with the final word of grace and peace from Christ. The minister is not the source of blessing. God triune is the source of blessing. God in our flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, He alone is the source of all blessing. He's the means of grace and peace. Christ then uses humans by the power of the Spirit to proclaim the blessing of of Christ's grace and peace to His people. Therefore, it is not only a biblical precedent, not only done by the apostles, not only continued throughout church history, but it is also the most fitting way to end our gathering of worship. Third and finally, this will be a shorter point, and the object of blessing. We've considered the, the content of the benediction, the means of the benediction, and now the object of the benediction. And I'd like to read these this last time. The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. And one last. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with you all. Who is this benediction for? I think you know the answer. It's for you. You who have trusted in Christ, it's for you. The church, 
the people of God, the bride of Christ. Grace and peace is for you. The Aaronic blessing constantly directs this blessing as being from heaven to you. Not from earth to earth. From heaven to you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. What a beautiful phrase that God says. The Lord make His face shine upon you. God who is light. That he, he would shine His light upon your face. These blessings, they're pronounced in corporate setting. They would have been proclaimed, this is the point, not just to individuals, but to individuals who have gathered as one collective body. Meaning, meaning God's blessings for the church. God does not just see you as an individual alone. He sees you as an individual who has been united to a body. His church. So God doesn't just see you as an individual, but one who has been united to his body, then how should you see yourself? Not just as an individual, but as one who has been united to a body let's take this another step and how should you see one another not just as individuals I like him not so much him I like her not so much her that would be viewing one another individually we are to view Ourselves in the same way that we view others as an individual who has been united to the body of Christ. Saints, we must not only be concerned with ourselves because Christ is not just concerned with individuals. He sees us as a collective body. We must not only have a view of ourselves, but we must have a view of ourselves within the context of belonging to this body. Oh, Lord, help me. It can be easy to lose sight of one another and only view and see ourselves. It can be easy after we've gathered on this day of worship because we are abiding to the command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. It can be very easy after not forsaking the assembling of ourselves to forsake our to, to forsake one another the rest of the week. I am guilty of this. Preparing for this sermon last night. I apologize, men. I, I sent you a very late text. I am guilty 
of once departing from worship feeling like my job is done. I've labored all week preparing a meal. You've eaten. I'll get back into the kitchen. My dad had a rule most often when we were young and he was cooking. Get out of the kitchen. I'm cooking. Leave me alone. It was almost like his time of solace. It was his me time with chopping and cutting. And get, get out of here. Get out of my space. The minister is not to have that attitude toward the people of God throughout the week. Neither are you to have that attitude toward one another throughout the week. When was the last time you texted someone, called someone throughout the week? Not in a group chat text. Because so often, we, for whatever reason, we don't like to respond in group texts. Another group text. It's another group text. It's another group text. I gotta shut off my alerts. Another group text. Okay then. Individually. How often have we contacted, I'm saying myself guilty, have we contacted someone throughout the week just to encourage them to keep pressing on and to keep their eyes on Christ? I need that. And you need that. I need your encouragement just as much as you need mine. And I apologize to all of you for not being the type of encouragement that I should be throughout the week. I know these words may echo in your souls throughout the week. Praise be to God for that. I could do well to ask you throughout the week, how has the sermon helped you this week? There are different ways the Lord was ministering to me and how I could be a better shepherd and even more so, or just as much, a better brother to all of you throughout the week. God help me. But what about you? You may say, yeah, pastor. Check up on me more. Guilty as charged. Now what about you? Are you looking out for one another? Are you being saintly, brotherly and sisterly toward one another? Or are you also taking the attitude, I've come to church, my job is done. See how we can all be guilty of the same thing. We, together, we must be better. We, the people of God, to whom grace and peace has been offered, we must display that there is a peculiar kind of love that we have for one another. One that is not even known among the heathen. Don't let the heathen outlove us. Don't let the unbeliever show more kindness to, to each other than we show to one another. More care and concern. The blessing of grace and peace is for us. And we must be a people who collectively display our gratitude to God by loving one another. Christ said, if you are truly my disciples, you will forgive one another. Forsake one another. Ignore one another. But isn't that what we most often do? 
Our Lord said, if you are truly my disciples, you will love one another. Our unity in Christ is wonderful. And it is because of our unity of Christ that we should have a different kind of bond with one another. Paul commanded that we should be, Romans 12.10, devoted to one another in brotherly love. I'll say this, and hopefully none of you can make the connection. I'll do it this way. I heard of a man once (laughs) who who had been in a church for a number of years. None of you better not make the connection. And after joining a new church for a short amount of time, said, I could never leave this church that I just joined because of the love that I have for the brothers here. It's admirable. Is that the kind of love that we have for one another? That we could never leave one another. In spite of the things that we do, because of the love that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. There should be a type of devotion that we have toward one another that overlooks our faults, that overlooks shortcomings, a type of love that is patient and gentle, willing to correct in love and willing to accept correction from those who love, willing to carry burdens, that seeks to build up and not tear down, a love that will not slander, a love that is hospitable, a love that is humble toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been given grace, salvific grace. We believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. This is a miraculous work of God the Holy Spirit. The the unity that we have is because of God the Holy Spirit. There are no walls between us anymore. When you who are in in your workplace or or wherever you are, you'll find yourself connecting to certain people in the job. But there is one thing that is a large wall between you and them. It's faith. It's faith in Christ. A kind enough person, good enough guy, speaking person to person, but he is an unbeliever. And I'm trying to share the gospel with them. I'm trying to, to witness to them. But there's still that wall. The wall between us has been torn down. There is no wall. The main thing that causes you to not be able to, to really link up with people who are not believers has been torn down. Faith in Christ is now common between us. Christ is our peace, Paul says in Ephesians who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, in the person and work of Christ, the hostility which the law composed of commandments expressed by ordinances so that he himself might make two persons one and in this way establish peace. Not only do we have peace with God, but because of Christ, the dividing wall has been brought down between you and I and we have peace with one another. There are no walls between us. Let's not build walls that don't exist then. Christ has come to tear them down. We must not be a people who have been made one that are constructors, uh, construction workers and like to build walls 
around ourselves, between us and our fellow believer. We've been made one body, one people, one nation. And this benediction is for us as one. Grace and peace to you. Scriptures do not only give us a theological reason for unity, there's not only a pattern of unity that the church displays, having all things in common, but we're commanded to have unity. Second Corinthians, these will be fast and will be done. 13 11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice! Exclamation point. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of peace will be with you. We have no other option. We have been given the blessing of grace and peace. And we are commanded to live out this reality within the body of Christ. I'm going to give you some quick ones real fast. Galatians 3.28 You are one in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 12.16 Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Are we mutually edifying one another? We should be. Romans 15, 5. May the God who gives understanding and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward one another that Christ had, so that with one mind you may, and one voice you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 1.27 Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a huge one. Whatever happens, whatever you do, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Act, well, I, I would say this to my children sometimes, my son especially, act like you're my son. Behave like one who is associated with me. Because when you are out there, you represent me and your mother. Act like you have some home training. Act like you've been raised by good parents. God says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Act like you belong to Christ. Act like Christ is your Savior. It's our responsibility. Whatever you do, act like the one that you are. Such unity was Paul's prayer, yes. But the final word from Christ to the body, not just individuals, but to the the collective group, is that we are one. Therefore, we must conduct ourselves as one. We are the body, no longer under judgment, but under grace and peace. We are the body, no longer enemies of God, but we've been given grace and peace from God. You have grace and peace person in front of you and behind you they also have grace and peace we are members of the same body there is no member that is insignificant we all need one another and we must protect that unity with great care it must be our great goal to put every effort toward maintaining the peace and unity that that has been given to us by the spirit I won't build up any walls 
Neither should you. One of the ways that we can help build up relationships is throughout the week. Not taking on the attitude that our job is done when we leave here. Brothers and sisters, let us make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is much spiritual benefit for us in the final benediction from God. To God be the glory. I pray that this series has been helpful for you. Let us now pray.